Hey everybody, welcome back to the Muslim Intelligence Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Pakulski. As always, another amazing podcast, another amazing guest. This guy has been crushing it on social media and YouTube lately. His YouTube and Instagram is growing so quickly because of the amount of value he's providing to his audience for free. Ben Patrick joins me today. You may otherwise know him as Knees Over Toes Guy. So Knees Over Toes has been this controversial area in exercise for a very long time. And Ben is joining us today to talk about all of the myths and misconceptions around knees over toes, why it isn't a problem, and ultimately how you can train your body to perform well now and for life. Today's podcast is brought to you by Belcampo. Guys, thank you so much for all the support you've been offering to Belcampo. Belcampo is super happy with our podcast and the support we're offering them because you guys realize the value in ultimately buying the highest quality products for your body, for yourself and for your family. Um, ultimately, this uh, sometimes can be difficult to find high quality meat. And thank you so much, to Anya Fernald, for doing what she's done with the Belcampo company and growing it and giving us access online. You can get 20% off your order at belcampo.com. Use the code MUSCLE and get hooked up with the best quality grass-fed, sustainably generated meat in North America. Thank you so much. Enjoy the podcast. I hope you guys absolutely love it. And if you do, listen all the way to the end because we got some really cool stuff happening for you at the end of the podcast. All right. Well, my first 60 seconds, if anyone's watching this, they need to know that I was a literal zero at a gym that BPAC was training at. When I say a zero, I mean... I wasn't on social media. I had no basketball scholarships yet. I had really like nothing going for me in life and probably had the worst legs in the gym. And BPAC taught me a lesson then, which is now such a key point of my system that I was like, I have to talk about this. The first thing, if only, if all anyone listened to is this point right here. Elevating the heels and more knees over toes for anterior and elevating the toes and more knees behind toes for posterior, as simple as those concepts are. Now, you can see videos for way before knees over toes guy that you were doing this. And you literally told me this in person. I think you could see that I was struggling to get my RDLs right and struggling. I was, I think you could see that I was struggling to get the right areas to work. And it's funny now because now I get success stories every day from people and I, and I take it to the point of using like full on slant boards, but like super lightweights. So it's like a rebuild process. And then, you know, you, and then you can gradually get into these positions with more and more weight. So I'm more on like, uh, I'm in between like a uh, physical therapy and like, like proper bodybuilding. I'm like in between that stage and that's, but dude, you, anyone can hop on my Instagram page and they will see me using these slant boards in both directions. And the first person to tell me that and showed me that in person, you didn't know I was a literal nobody and you took the time. So it's like, I, I couldn't be more appreciative of the kind of person you are. And I don't think enough stories get told of Thanks, what man. people like you do for other people when the camera's not on. So this is, you know, now the camera's on and now you can find out that 10 years ago, BPAC was helping me fix my needs without even realizing what he was doing. So thanks buddy. And I'll tell you, the only reason I do that is like, I don't do it for everybody, right? I do it for the people who I see have heart and they see they're working hard and they're trying their best and maybe they just don't have access to the information. And 
you know, with your, with your height, I saw the proportions. And I think that's important for the listeners to know is the relative proportion from the hip joint to the knee joint relative to the knee joint to the floor. So the lower leg relative to the upper leg is going to determine your squatting posture, right? So someone like yourself being a tall guy, you're going to squat and you go, man, I, you know, I really, I, I can't squat or I'm a bad squatter or I have back pain when I squat. I'm like, exactly. no, man, you just got, you just got to kind of even the playing field and change the proportions. And it's funny because we we're just talking about anthropometrics, which is really this, this measure of the limb lengths, right? And, and the skeletal system. And so with your height, you're, you're just naturally got a long femur and your lower leg's a little bit shorter. So it gives you a disadvantage in the squat until you learn these simple adjustment tools. Like, hey, let's put a one inch heel elevation, then a two, then a three. And let's see what happens. Let's see where you can actually get into the right squat position for your body. Yeah. And being okay with doing what you can, it's not an all or nothing, right? It wasn't, Oh, I can, or I can't do this lift. It's adjusting it. And then at what point can I do it? And like you said, I had, you know, <laughs> I was probably looking at, at guys who were great at it and I wasn't naturally great at it. You know what I mean? And it wasn't adding up. So I think we both share that belief that like people can get the goals that they want. You know what I mean? Totally. And, and, and that, that simple truth right there of like, of adjusting these angles versus just if I was just trying to do a flat footed, heavy squat, Oh man, the form would have been bad. But now I actually can do can. a flat footed squat with right. some decent load. And yeah. Anyways, it's, yeah, no, it's, it's actually true, but you've progressed point. to that. Like I, I, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So you just may have to start over if it's something you're not that good at, but rather than, rather than avoiding that ability or saying you can't do it or forcing through the pains and stuff. Those are both the wrong answer. That's kind of my whole career is built on the the idea. People come to me in pain and they're doing one of two things. They're either trying to force what they can't do and they're in pain and they're taking, you know, painkillers to try to get through it and, and doing endless uh, treatments. But the point is they're just trying to work through a painful position or they're just avoiding it all. Oh, I can't do blah. Right. Not, and I've added it up. 99% are in one of those two boats. Here's how I help people. <laughs> Let's find the level that you can do that motion. I mean, it's really that simple. And people think they've tried everything. I thought I had tried everything. You know, I, I'd been through knee surgeries and this and that thinking this would help or that would. I was one of the 99% myself. I hadn't tried honestly finding what level I could do without pain and then building from that level. And now it's like, now, you know, I'm, 29 turning 30 this year and I still look at someone like you and obviously I'm not going to be a bodybuilder but I'm still like this is so like the idea of gaining muscle mass now is so much more achievable and it's and it's so fun and I I go do workouts now and I actually see a pump in my legs and I like I have some veins in my legs which I thought would never ever happen um you know and so it now it's super exciting I'm looking at like wow I could I could pursue what I want to now now it would still be at my level but things I thought I couldn't do like gaining muscle mass, they're now actually very achievable. But and that's so beautiful. Cause that's literally the message I want everyone to hear is like, everyone's got this story around what they can't. And I'm like, yep. no, 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 you can, you absolutely <laughs> can. You just don't know how yet. Right. Yep. And so many people say, I can't squat. How many times have you heard that? And you're just like, Oh no, no, you can squat. You just haven't figured out how to do it for your body yet. Like every, regardless of back pain and herniated discs, everyone's got a bullshit story, including knee surgery. Like, no, no, we can, we can make you squat in a way that allow, your body allows, your, allows you to do it right now, today. It may yep. not be perfect, but we can probably do it without pain. And again, how much, how many, how many weight or how many reps, how much weight? I don't know. 
we can absolutely do it. And then we progress, as you say, through uh, you know where we are now to ultimately where we want to be. And most people, like other than yourself, a lot of people don't understand how to do that, which is why you know you're, you're crushing it right now on social media, helping people gain access to those ranges, hip, knee, ankle. And I love it, man. I want to walk through all of your protocols on you know, how, how, we, how we improve, how we get someone to ultimately squatting or deadlifting or any of these exercises. But first, let's talk about the moniker is knees over toes guy, because, you know, it's funny because for the longest time, including probably still 75% of the people that I meet, maybe 50% now, still believe that taking your knees over your toes is wrong or your knees are going to explode as soon as they, they go over your toes. So let's talk about that, man. So when did you discover that it's not a problem? And, um, you know, let's, let's talk about why it's not. I think that's the the perfect thing because that's the elephant in the room. And for me, my understanding or lack of understanding of knees over toes both completely took away my joy in life, which for me was basketball, and completely gave it back. That now the game is like ridiculously fun. Like yeah. it's like what like what if you could wave a like for anyone who has knee pain right now, imagine waving a magic wand and being able to play your sport without ever thinking about your knees, like. So you, this is why I get so hyped up and passionate in my videos because I've been at the bottom yeah. and now I'm at the level where it is so fun. And when it comes to knees over toes, we have to think like <clears throat> we want to have strong bones. We want to have strong tendons, strong ligaments, strong muscles. Like we have to have these things strong to survive for the long term. So the point you were just saying there about you can get someone started today, they're now putting in an investment so that tomorrow it gets a little easier to get even more bulletproof and more. So it's not like, it's not even like just this even scale. It's like every workout you do right makes you a little more bulletproof and a little more bulletproof and a little more bulletproof. Now with knees over toes, and we'll start simplistic and then we'll go back and forth on the actual, like, you know, scientific details, but right off the bat, you wouldn't be able to walk downstairs. You wouldn't be able to start in a track meet. You wouldn't be able to do every single 40-inch vertical jump in NFL combine history. They wind up, they load the hips. That's the primary power. And then, boom, the knees go over the toes. And now it's how much of that hip power can the knees handle. And then they go up. So every 40-inch vertical in NFL combine history had knees over toes. I've watched every single one. So you wouldn't, so you wouldn't be able to do that. You wouldn't then be able to land the landing then often has even more. And because we're reaching, we don't realize we're often landing through one leg. Holy crap. How much force is a 40 inch landing right. through one leg for the first, you know, serious amount of ground contact time. And we wouldn't be able to squat down to play with our kids because once you then get into the very depth of the squat, it starts pushing things more over the toes. Again, the, the limbs will change that, but we're all, the shin starts going forward more. That's, that's the basic side of it. So it's like, what if you built up those muscles, tendons, ligaments? Because a big thing people don't realize is the tendons and ligaments have anabolic properties. So my system is kind of built on this philosophy of internal versus external. And so now where I get to have so fun, so much fun with no, I, like I don't, and I still follow the protocols and do the warmups, but the point is like, I don't even have to. I can jump under near my max squats completely cold. So you could imagine when I get a warm up and I'm doing it's like it's so much fun. But I had to start over at the at these very low amounts and put in a little energy, a little energy, a little. So it's you rebuild the the internal, 
and then the external gets easier, you know, to adjust. None of that is really, we haven't approached really the scientific yet, which you can start discussing, you know, what you've looked at in terms of these shearing forces on the knees and like, like, what do these forces mean? I think we need to break that down, yeah. you know, before we go on. So one thing I think it's important to define for the listener that I often do, you know, within my camps and such is understanding torque. So torque is kind of the equation of uh, force applied through the body because people think of, uh, of the muscles in terms of force, when in reality it's actually torque because it's a, it's a rotational force. So the, the equation for torque that people don't understand is it, is it is force, but it's also force times distance, right? So distance is that, that um, the lever basically, right? The distance away from the axis and that, that distance piece is the thing that people don't consider. So if my knees are going over my toes, let's say my center of mass is, you know, I'm standing straight up, straight up and my, my body is stacked through my center of mass and my knees travel four inches forward. I've just created a four inch distance away from my center of mass. So now the force going through my knees is whatever the weight is times four, right? Cause it's, 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 it's force times distance. Yep. And now if I, if I double that, so now it goes from, from four inches to eight. Now I've just, instead of just multiplying by four, now I'm multiplying by eight, that's a really big increase. And then yep. if I go from four to eight to 12, I've just like tripled the amount of distance, right? 12 X from standing up straight, regardless of the weight on my back, just by changing that distance. And if people don't acknowledge that, it's, it, they can not understand this. So why does this matter? Well, as I'm progressing, let's say I've got 100 pounds on my back. I've just gone from 400 to 800 to 1,200 pounds of yep. torque through my knee joint. That's a huge amount of progress. So if you've never gone more than four inches in front of your center of mass with your knee, and all of a sudden someone comes along and goes, hey, man, we're going to go 12 inches out in front of your center of mass. That's 800 pounds increase in torque through the knee. You're very likely not going to have a good time at the end of that. It's probably going to hurt you. But if you progress from four to five to six to eight to 10 to 12 over time, eventually you're like, oh, I can do this, right? And that's the simple paradigm that needs to be understood is it's not just about the weight on your back. It's also about this progression from where I am now to ultimately where the end destination is. And that's kind of the conversation you and I are having here. Exactly. Everything's forced on our body. I have a philosophy. There's no such thing as a bad motion. There would only be imbalanced motions or ones you're not ready for. And, right. and so as you described... I'll, I'll do, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm cold here. This is my crazy garage with my baby. <laughs> I think I got a little bit right here just to give someone an example. So if I didn't even bend my glutes, coffee's in the way there. No, I can see it perfectly. Tried to lower like a full, like see how much torque this is even without weight. Right. But see, I, I can do this cold with no pain. So when I do this, I get, I actually get more bulletproof from doing this, yep. but that's to demonstrate the torque. I mean, that's, if most people tried that, they would feel some degree of knee pain, especially if the tendons weren't warmed up. And ankle and so, pain, right? So just for the listeners who aren't able to see Ben, if you if you want to watch Ben on YouTube, go to YouTube, um, IP Ben Pack on YouTube, or he's just basically doing a sissy squat where he's standing up straight and just driving right. the knees as far um, forward over the- Tom yeah. Platt style, just, yep. you know, yep. like no, nothing fancy, Tom, you know, guys have been doing that for a long time. And the point was just to show that without any quote unquote weight, that's a ton of force on the knee. Yep. Right. Um, so there's guys who can squat, you know, double body weight, but can't do one of those, you know? Yep. So everything's force. Are you working at your level and what are your goals? Like, like who would need that? Well, crap, that exercise as quote unquote scary as it is, 
has changed a lot of lives for people in extreme sports. Are I mean, skateboarders, you get a lanky basketball player where he develops some nice, you know, quad muscle tissue and can do a, a sissy squat with zero pain. Now basketball becomes like a joke for him, right? But we do that as our sixth exercise with like standing at your chair, like only going a few inches and using assistance, not working through any pain. Right. We and we only, what I just showed you there, I only do that exercise 12 weeks out of the year in my body weight phase. So believe it or not, as soon as we're lifting any amount of weights, we don't even do that exercise anymore. So someone might see that and be like totally freaked out about that. But what was that exercise doing? As you were explaining, it's increasing this torque through the knee. So now the hip is like not loaded at all. It's like, you don't need any hip strength for that. It's, that would be like the opposite of a Romanian deadlift or something like that. It's, it's all about that knee torque. And as you said, you end up bending like crazy through your big toe and your ankle. And that's the whole reason that I spend 12 weeks a year without weights is not because of the significance of the weight. It's because when you don't have any weights, try getting a workout. You can still get a crazy calf workout. You can get crazy tibialis workouts. You can get crazy, like look at the, like the, the sissy squat. So the whole point is that when you go in my system, we go 12 weeks of the year just with body weight because it forces us to get crazy pound for pound strong, to get right. crazy strong through these protective ranges. But we do everything at our own level. And then as soon as we get into weights, well, now it's a, now it's a different factor of that torque. So now yeah. we use a slant board for squats. So now when we get out of the body weight phase, now we start using a slant board and guess what? We spend 12 weeks. We, we hold the dumbbell in the front. That's not sexy. That's not heavy weights and stuff, but for people who naturally have these weak knees, oh my gosh, doing this rebuild, we see leg muscles coming for the first time. We start dunking and improving our vertical jumps without even touching a, a bar yet. So I, my system is only, it's here to help everyone with this foundation. It's not like an end all be all. It's right. really about trying to master how to rebuild at your level to create a more bulletproof body. So now we start some degree of loading and it's not as, I mean, the sissy squat, your shin is going <laughs> parallel to the floor, yeah. not thigh parallel, like shin parallel to the floor. So that would be, that's quite literally the maximum torque you can put on your knee. And that's, what's pretty cool about it. When you're a running back and you can do that. Now you go play your season using your weights and stuff like that. And you're the only guy, you're the only running back on your team. Who's not having dice their knees. You see what I mean? Totally. Yeah. But every rep that you push through any degree of pain is a bad rep to me because now you're causing a little bit of destruction to, you know, now your muscles may be recovered, but your tendons and ligaments aren't recovered yet. Yeah. You're dr driving up inflammation at the level of the tendon, at the level of the nervous system. And that just takes longer to recover from, drives up the sympathetic stress. People don't realize and their whole body takes longer to recover. Exactly. So we do this body weight phase. Now we start gradually using weights. Then in the third phase, then we can progress to barbell and, and stuff like that. And now yeah. we find, holy shit, squats now feel great for the first time. And this and that. And, and uh, last week, we, do, we also progress in the third phase to like Romanian deadlifts. Okay. I can do, not that it's the most impressive, but if someone looks at my, I call it a hamstring deadlift only because I try not to get political on the names. Like I'm just trying to help people. And if I say Romanian deadlift, people are like, that's more like a stiff-legged deadlift. If I say stiff-legged deadlift, people are like, that's more like a... I kind of do it in between. 
ankle is behind or sorry, knee is behind ankle in the bottom position. Yep. And we're not rounding the back. Anyways, last week I did double my body weight for six reps, getting my lower, like getting really good depth. So that's now for a, for a naturally pathetic guy like me, I'm now able to do, you know, full range of motion, Romanian deadlifts. Like I'm on a deficit with more weight than I used to be able to deadlift. Now for someone advanced, this might help them lay a new foundation to then go into what they do. So it, it definitely is. It definitely is taking a step back, trying to rebuild from the ground up. But it, but it's funny to note because I get a lot of wonderful compliments on my Romanian deadlift, which absolutely sucked until you taught me how to rebuild it. Now, so I'll tell you, this is where my brain goes with this as far as helping the audience understand what we're talking about. So most people, when they train, stay within the range that they're strong in, right? Because in their brain, they go, I want to squat 315 or I want to squat 225. So they stay in these really, really narrow ranges that they're really good in. They never explore the ranges outside of that where they're really bad because one, either they get discomfort or pain, or maybe they're, they're just like, I can't use as much weight there. And they're so attached to the numbers on the bar because that's, that's what society has taught them. They don't explore those end ranges. Whereas I, I think the greatest opportunity for progress is in exploring those end ranges with whatever resistance you're capable of controlling. So you just did the sissy squat. Maybe you can't get there, or maybe you can find a way to deload your body by using your hands to take yep. some of the resistance of your body weight away, and then eventually progressing toward that. And I think, you know, understanding a simple thought process, instead of avoiding the things you're bad at, you should be doing more of them. And I just explained to somebody yesterday, this is how I approach this, man. This may be helpful for you. You may already do this. So if I'm training for a contest, I want 90%, maybe even 100% of my work going toward the end result, right? Like if I'm trying to get my body to build muscle, I want 90, 80 to 100% of the work going toward like hard training. And then the other 10 or 20% is going to like the, the auxiliary stuff. Like I'm trying to maintain stability and joint mobility and all these, this other kind of auxiliary training. Whereas if I'm in the off season, maybe it's the exact opposite. Maybe 10% is going to work and 90% is going to kind of rehab and progressing. But um, it, it, it exists somewhere on this continuum, right? So if I, if I'm in the off season and I've got a bunch of stuff, my nips, my, my hips are tight, my ankles are tight. Well, maybe I'm doing 50 to 60% or even more of my, my actual time in the gym committed and devoted to actually improving those ranges, improving the active range of motion, improving stability so that I could eventually progress that, you know, 50 to 60% and do less and less and less. So it's this like really logical systematic progression from, however much mobility and stability I need to do to get the result I want and then progressing it toward being like most of it being output based. Right. So I call it like skill acquisition and I, as compared to output. So I literally have two columns in my brain, right? Skill acquisition is like, I'm trying to learn mobility and stability and a certain percentage of my time is allocated to that. And then uh, output, which is like the things I know I'm good at. I have a full range access, full range control. They're going to drive hard on those exercises. It's literally just this like constant dynamic play between the, both of those uh, phases. That's, that's 100% right. And I, I think of it and help people think of it like investment, right? So like if you had nothing and I said you have one day to get as much money as possible, you might go to a bunch of wild shit to get a bunch of money. It would be a very different process than saying, I want you to have as much money 10 years from now, 20 years from now. So with our bodies, we're often working towards these long-term goals, but we're taking this short-term approach. It doesn't make any sense. So what you just said there is exactly how someone would approach a goal is you, you have to think of these things as investments and the, the body's a pretty slow responder. Like I could have someone teach me something and mentally 
I could learn that in a day, but it might, you know, the body, it, it adds up these changes very yeah. slowly. So this, this short-term versus long-term think you're hundred percent right on that. Now, every area of the body is going to have different scientific details. And a, with the knee, a big one is this concept of shearing forces and compressive forces. And like, so if we break down what these forces are, a, a shearing force is when, if you imagine something's like trying to pry apart your knee. So that's actually highest in a squat at like the halfway position in the top, your, your quads are really handling a bunch of it. You haven't started to bend down that much yet in the bottom. You're actually almost starting to compress against yourself. You've got your hamstrings, you've got your calves. Now, again, my train of thought is that no part of this motion is bad, but if let's say we only do a half squat, never let the knees of our toes, never work the hamstring, never work. Like if we just took a, you know, an absolute idea with that and, and most people, because we care so much about those numbers, our squat starts turning into a, a good morning. You know what I mean? And we, so basically if we look at our knee, it's like, if, if you didn't know anything about exercise science and everyone in the gym was skeletons and you were just watching their skeletons, you'd go like, wow, not many people really want to have strong knees. You know what I mean? If you just looked at it. Yep. So, but again, I don't even think the force at the halfway position is, is bad. I don't even think that any force is bad, but when we're only getting those shearing forces and we're not then strengthening some of these other ranges, which actually stimulate more of that anabolic effect in the tendons and the ligaments, we can be building a structure which now can wind up in pain. So now even when we do try to get through a full range of motion, now that hurts because of the, the inflammation in the joint. So when you have something going on in your knee and you try to fully bend it, fully bending is not the culprit, but fully bending may hurt. And so now it's sure. like, oh, fuck. Or loading knees over toes. Those are the two toughest positions. When people say, my knee hurts to do this or my knee hurts to do that. It's when the knee is pushing over the toe or fully bending. That's when there's the most pressure on the knee. So the problem is if we aren't prepared for those positions, now we wind up in pain. Now we can't even do those positions. Right. So that's why I take this slow process um, and, and try to rebuild those abilities. But that is what's going on in the knee. Like there's, there's these different forces. It doesn't mean they're bad. But I think if I think with your body, if you only give one type of motion to an area, I don't think any expert on the shoulder is going to say it's good to only do a bench and never work out the upper back. I don't think any expert on, you know what I mean? I don't think any expert on the hamstring is going to say only do Romanian deadlift and don't do any hamstring right. curls. So, yeah. so hopefully that helps explain a bit of like... I don't know if you see this, if you see this in your group, Ben, but so personally, and this is my opinion, I've never actually seen a knee problem that was originated at the knee, unless it was from blunt force trauma, like someone running into you. It's always a disparity or a deficit at the foot and ankle or at the hip. And so like you think of the knee as like this joint, this hinge joint that just kind of bends between an ankle and a hip. And if the ankle and the hip have adequate mobility, um, both, you know, at the hip, internal extra rotation, flexion extension, and then obviously the ankle and pronation supination and as far as you know, dorsi and plantar flexion. If you have those there, I've literally never seen a knee that doesn't work correctly, right? It's almost like 
as long as the ankle and the hip are there, the knee kind of falls in between, does what it's meant to do. So anyone who's experiencing a knee problem, usually I'm like, hey, man, it's probably your feet. And if it's not your feet, it's almost, it's certainly your hip. And it's not, so like, rather than just people focusing on the pain they're expressing in the knee, you do a great job of giving a lot of attention to the ankle and the hip. And I'd love to ha have you just kind of walk through maybe your thought process around you, your choice, yep. hip or knee, uh, you know, start with one. Uh, it's, it's a perfect, that's a perfect next uh, topic. <laughs> the knee is like the middle child, you know, yeah. so yeah. It, it, you're amplifying the number of things that could go wrong you know, and one ankle could be tighter than the other ankle. Now your squat feels like shit. Now you it's a rotation. It now, yep. oh, it's like, so because the knee is that middle child, maybe for some people, that's why it's so, you know, stuck between the two. So my, my whole system, like I typed up an article yesterday on the 10 principles of my system and principle number one is build from the ground up. So maybe it's not convenient. Maybe it's not user-friendly. Maybe it's tedious. Maybe it burns training calves. Maybe it burns training your tibialis. Maybe it's you're, you can't handle as much weight when you're actually working on your ankle mobility, but it's a lot more user-friendly than knee surgeries. It's a lot less costly, you know, yeah. to get the, to get the calf training equipment than you need than having knee surgeries. And so like theoretically, if we imagine someone, someone landing from an extreme depth jump. I'll often watch these on myself in slow motion. And, and you could see it like theoretically, if your big toe is strong enough, you'd land right, like your knee would never get stressed. And then it goes into your ankle and then whatever can't get handled through the foot and ankle, boom, now it's coming up into the knee. But as you were saying, it could then go the other way because if your hip couldn't handle it, now you might go excess force on the knee. I simply build this from the ground up because there's still time to then, you know, if we start with the ankle, then there's time to build the knee. If then there's time to build the hip. So we go in this order because for most of us, our activities in life, you know, that gravity is weighing down on us. So every step we take it is starting right there. Our heel goes into the ground. That's the tibialis outside of bodybuilding. Tibialis fell out of style in exercise science. We're spending seven times more money studying acceleration than deceleration, even though, de even though we don't get hurt trying to accelerate, rarely, a very small percentage, some of them are trying to accelerate hamstring right. injuries, but most of the blowout injuries are landings, stoppings, every NBA ACL, you're seeing guys trying to land or cut or stop, but we don't have the energy on that. So we actually, we don't know much in terms of exercise, in terms of what's been studied on deceleration X, like on strength training to be able to, I mean, it's, it's in the stone ages, man. And so I just, I just put out a tibialis video and tibialis was more popular to train 50 years ago. Um, it's funny. I was, I was obsessed with tibialis when I was competing, as you can imagine, I'm the calf guy, right? I was like, I need to have massive tibialis and for ankle mobility as well, really helped my squat. Exactly. So without even some people without realizing it, may have been training in a time, may have been training with you, may have been doing your programs and doing these ankle things, not realizing the effect it had on the knee. Yeah. So like my whole system, step one is, is walking backwards. Cause if you stand there and you go to take a step backwards, you're, you're pushing right through your toes. You're now loading the soleus, loading the tibialis. And the big mistake people make is when they start dragging a sled backwards. And I'm not talking sled is just, you could do any infinite number of exercises for different things, but I'm just talking about for the foot and the ankle. Mm -hmm. When you drag a sled backwards, are you still getting your knees over your toes each step? Or are you just leaning your weight back 
and sitting back, which would become more of a glute and upper quad exercise, which is fine. Right. But in terms of building from the ground up, I watch people from a side angle, each step you step back and anyone listening to this can stand there, look in the mirror, take a step back. And it's like, oh shit, that's knees over toes. Mm -hmm. Walking backwards is knees over toes. The Chinese have passed this down for thousands of years to their elderly to prevent their knees from breaking down. So to prevent their knees from breaking down, they took this philosophy of building the feet and the calves and the tibialis without knowing. Right. And this is why like studies are, are funny because it's like, is that, is that not a study enough that it's been successfully working for thousands of years? Totally. And especially if you're going backwards. Exactly. Oh, sorry, we'll go back, going backwards up a hill is what, if you're going backwards up a hill, that's a, that's a fun endeavor that I used to play with a lot. Exactly. And going backwards up a hill is the same concept as dragging a sled. I actually yeah. get people that if they don't have any of these options, they can get on a treadmill, not turn it on and get it to spin backwards. Yep. So that's the first step of my system. The second step is then training your tibialis. The third step is then getting into training the calf. And then we start to train a bent knee calf raise. That's all before we've even touched the, the knee. Right. We've already done four exercises before we've even started training our knee. Right. And this is very empowering because for people, again, who are in pain and don't know how to get started, I guarantee you to start doing that shit three times a week. And this is why people, this is why people write in every day with these quote unquote miraculous cases is like, like life is hard. There's forces on our body. It's all going to be over for us at some point. Like it's not, we're never just going to be on these imaginary clouds. Although we might feel like it when we actually do a good process and we have the adrenaline flowing and our joints don't hurt. But you know, this is why those results come in is because it's the exact same concept that you just explained. And so we're building from the ground up. And then we're also really opening as we start to go up before we're loading heavy, we're actually trying to get really elite hip mobility, to be honest with you, like really elite. So now it's yeah. like, wow, like if we're starting out with like elite strength and mobility through the feet, ankles and hips, it's exactly what you said. Yeah. And now we find that it's like, oh shit, this hurt my knees three months ago. Now this is fun. This right. squatting is fun, you know? So, so super uh, important concept I think the listeners should understand. So when you when you can't go into a range of motion, let's say your knees can't go over your toes or you lack what's called dorsiflexion, it's, it's most often correlated, not with a tightness of the back of the ankle as people would think, it's actually a weakness in the front. So the tibialis anterior has been here is referring to is that, that muscle that runs up and down the front of your shin from basically your knee to your ankle. And its job is to pull your foot closer to your shin. And so if that muscle is weak and has an inability to shorten, the muscles in the back will just naturally tighten up as a preventative mechanism, a protective mechanism, so you don't go into that huge amounts of dorsiflexion that you can't control. So the more you can train those tibialis, you're actually going to increase that range. You're going to increase its ability to shorten and therefore pull the toe closer to the shin, thereby improving ankle mobility. And that's, that's you know, uh, imperative in squatting. So most people hurt their knees when they're squatting. They can't get their knees far enough over their toes. That's what causes the injuries both in the knee and in the lower back. Exactly. Number one most underrated muscle. And my bro science on it is that it's like getting a, a PRP injection in your knees because have you ever tried getting, all right, when you start getting a bicep pump, your forearms are pumped, maybe not to the same degree, but like if you're completely cold in one area of your body and it's not getting blood flow. So now the tibialis gives you away without even loading your knee. So the recovery process is great. Blood starts flowing. You can now pull yourself and own these positions. Mm -hmm. It's Beautiful. 
the tibialis is right there under your patellar tendon. So, so many people are having knee tracking problems, but they've never trained the muscle right under their patellar tendon. Like it makes no sense. It would be yeah. like if someone had only trained quads, but never trained their hamstring, right. that could be a problem on your squat. It could also be a problem not training your tibialis. Yeah. Some athletes are naturally strong on it. Based on your genetics, if you're someone who has knee pain, you're probably not one of those people. Well, so it's important to, um, to acknowledge it's not our fault, right? It's like not your fault if you if you have knee pain or weak ankles. When when in our society would you ever load the tibialis anterior? Like you're never walking backwards. You're certainly never walking backwards up a hill unless you're running, which is as you say this decelerative property. You're really not training that that um, tibialis at all. So unless you like, so if you I look at it from the level of the nervous system. The nervous system has probably never sent an appropriate or uh, high yep. amplitude signal there ever. So you're like, really, yep. it's like baby steps, man. You have to retrain the nervous system. Like, hey, nervous system, wake up, learn how to contract this muscle so I can actually use it to pull my foot toward my shin. And then the squat becomes so much more natural. Yep. Plus, we're not giving it, even if you are thinking, oh, well, I jump, I decelerate. That's like thinking that the best way of preventing a shoulder injury would be only throwing a baseball and having the plyometric force. They have the highest shoulder surgery. I mean, shoulder surgeries are an epidemic in baseball. The point is that the tibialis in these areas, if you strength train the rest of your body, and then that area is never getting a pump, never getting full range of motion, never firing and being trained to the point of failure or near failure. It's just not, that's not natural at all. So, yeah. so maybe the knees over toes thing seems extreme at first, but we start with everything under it. And I would say it's more extreme to take some error of your body and assume that it's like not a vital part. You know what I mean? Yeah. To just ignore, to just ignore some error of your body. And, and we're seeing it in the stats of how many of us are in pain, not to mention then shin. I mean, shin splints is almost like a math equation of your foot and tibialis. It's like your soleus, your tibialis, your, you know, the muscles coming through the foot. We don't need to get too complex with the names, but the amount of people, again, <laughs> who have shin splints, but have never tried strength training, <laughs> like, yeah. and, and then they're like, well, at least I can, you know, I'm making great upper body gains and that's fine. And you can have a jacked upper body it, but it's the, it just comes down to the proportions. You know, yeah. some people will say, oh, you can do a Nordic cause you're skinny. Only some of the very guys I'm copying on the Nordic are jacked out of their minds for sports. Marty St. Louis at the time. I put it in a ton of my videos of Marty St. Louis. So my Nordic standard is merely an exact copy of what Ben Prentice and Marty St. Louis did on the Nordic. And Marty St. Louis was, look at that guy's legs for a team sport athlete. We're talking some of the top 10 bodybuilding for a team sport athlete of all time yeah. in terms of his, in terms of the, the beauty developed legs. This guy was jacked. And then there's a guy in football right now named Tyreek Hill and he does these Nordics like they're nothing and he's jacked out of his mind. So it, it's still just going to come down to the proportions, but starting there in the, in the ankle and stuff, like you said, it's just, it's, uh, it's hugely underrated and yeah. outside of bodybuilding it, cause I've just worked with so many people. I know what people do. Cause I've thousands of people have come to me in pain. I know what they do. They totally. don't pump up their tibialis. Yeah, and it all starts been with with shoes, right? And the time we're young, we're putting these shoes with really hit with really thick heels, and so we we stop learning how to use our foot musculature to decelerate the the, the landing. So we're walking down the road with these big thick heels. We just land. It's this, this clunky like thump 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 thump. 
there's no conscious thought of like, hey, I actually have to soften this walking. So one of the first things I suggest people do is like get out of your typical shoes. Maybe you wear some some flat shoes. Now, don't go from wearing th- you know one inch heel to zero and only do that. There has to be a progression yep. there. But like as soon as you remove, like if you ever try walking barefoot on the concrete, it's a completely different s- style of walking because now you actually have to become mindful of slowing yourself down and using your foot almost as a shock absorber. So now you're actually having to be conscious of the musculature. And that in of itself is, is a huge level of progress for people, right? So if we just get you out of these big, clunky, you know, thick heel shoes and get you just learning to use your feet to actually decelerate, all of a sudden your ankle mobility improves because the musculature improves. All of a sudden your knee mobility improves or your ability to get knees over toes. It just gets better. So that's where I started was like always teaching people foot function. I think you were wearing minimalist shoes about 10 years ago from my recollection. In 2006, I was wearing Vibrams. Nobody knew what the hell Vibrams were. I was the weirdo in the gym. So finger shoes. Dude, you, were, you were squatting with the best depth in the gym <laughs> with six plates on each side. Yeah. Wearing, yeah. wearing Vibrams. And I found that for myself, and so some people can probably relate, I tried switching to those. It was a bit too much. I wear these $20 martial arts shoes, which I don't think are – I think people could do better, but I'm just giving an example that like for a basketball player, I wear the most minimal <laughs> shoes. Do you, do you, have you heard of Vivo Barefoot? I have. Yeah, I have. So. And I, I think that part of what I do is I try to live what's really realistic for people. Yeah. And then if they want to take things farther, they can. Yeah. So this is like a, this is like an intermediate. So this is, there's no heel. It's a zero drop. It's a, right. it's a $20. So the only, the only zero ad- drop. The only and advantage I, I see farther. Why don't you take that farther for yeah, us? Well, you know, the only advantage I see in, in a vivo is the foot box, like the toe box. Yep. So when when your toe, you know, a lot of people wear Converse, so they were like Pumas or something, which are zero drop, which is a good step in the right direction. But they also kind of compress your toe box, so you're not able to kind of get in this this toe spreading thing. So yep. when you're when you're training squats or lunges, it's probably to your advantage to consider spreading your toes and almost pulling them back. So you're yep. really more surface area of your foot in contact with the floor. And if you can't do that, it definitively disrupts the ankle mechanics, right? So you often see me now, if I'm squatting, I'm either wearing Vivos on my warmups or I'm completely barefoot with the intention of really getting this really, really spread out foot and really trying to make as much contact with the floor as I can. And, and then exaggerate, trying to exaggerate my arch. Cause if you push, I mean, say I got 500 pounds on my back, my arch is going to get compressed, right? No, no matter what. So that's going to cause me to come into pronation. So I'm going to try to keep my arch as, as, as pronounced as I can possibly keep it so that I don't just fall into pronation when I'm squatting, which is not necessarily a bad thing, but for my mechanics, I like to not allow my knees to fall too far into pronation when I'm squatting, even though it's going to happen a little bit. If you overpronate, you tend to internally rotate at the hips. That can cause lower back and knee pain as well. So um, that would be something that really? uh, somebody who's more advanced, uh, getting, you know, getting yourself out of shoes and, and learning to, to function your feet, right? Like, so I'm here, I'm sitting here like twiddling my fingers, like I'm playing a piano. That's what I, I aspire to do with my feet to include like really big spreading of the toes and squeezing them together and then pulling them back off. So you're really trying to gain function of that midfoot and that forefoot, which then transfers to more stability and shock absorbing through the foot. So that would be I, really think, I think it's brilliant. I think I agree a hundred percent. And that's why I try to I try to make sure that people are studying <clears throat> from a number of sources so then they can find what's right for them. Totally. So I'll keep rocking my $20 ones only because I agree with you on that, but I have to make sure that someone's starting my system that, you know, that I'm getting them on a stepping stone that I don't have any advantages that they don't have. You know what sure. I mean? So this is Maybe kind of like bare feet, right? 
Right. The, the transition from a, from your $120 Nike air, you know, which I don't know how Nike has prevented these studies because like Australia did a study and found that the shoes with that air pocket four times more likely for an ankle sprain, but that's never been tested in the U S. So we, we do have to acknowledge we are in a, in a society where we all have to be driven by money, but some people are overdriven by money. Like how that hasn't been studied and 10 years ago, Australia already figured out, you know, so this is like a good stepping stone. And then as soon, I think someone should then also buy the shoes that you recommend and then, and then kind of fine tune that for themselves. Yeah, but and it's, again, it's, it's just a barefoot, right? Like even if you just don't wear shoes, try it. And then again, I don't suggest like heavy loading with no shoes. I certainly don't suggest walking and running yet with no shoes, but that yeah. may be an end goal to, to aspire to. Absolutely. It's, we're just restoring what's natural, you know? So anything I do, I'm not trying to do something unorthodox. I'm just trying to restore, you know, the balances and qualities that we had. My, my rundown to summarize it for people is that one, we try to build from the ground up Two, we try to build side to side balance. So I use exercises where we really honestly get not just as strong, but as mobile between sides, the amount of people who are imbalanced from team sports growing up, baseball is actually like the worst because of the swinging that goes yeah. into it. Yeah. So we're talking so much imbalance, but man, you feel great. Like if you want your squat to feel good, you know, rebuild from the ground up side to side, front to back, which seems obvious. Like in your workout videos, you see the hamstrings all the time, but then we go into certain areas in sports training and we're doing endless speed ladders, but no hamstring training. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. and so, and, and again, what about the calf and the tibialis? So if most people are making these mistakes, we're not built from the ground up. We're built from the top down. We're not balanced side to side. We're not actually evenly training one side of the joint to the other. And then you have, then you, you have two ranges as well. Like, so by hitting a, you know, a hamstring curl and a Romanian deadlift, one of them you're trying to shorten, one of them you're trying to lengthen. I don't need to go too much into detail. Even on a, on a leg extension versus squat, like a leg extension, you're trying to, you're actually trying to like shorten it. And then in the squat, it's tougher when you, when you lengthen it. And that would be a simple concept. But in, in, in sports training and people using only like a powerlifting side of the equation, they're often really just training midpoints and not really training the short or the long position. Of, of those areas. So we're thinking like, we want to be really balanced and strong on, on both, both ends of that coin. Cause it, I've also seen good squatters, but like on a step down test, they're super shaky at the top, you know, and they wonder why, why basketball hurts their knees. But then in basketball, we're like so bad in the, in the long range, meaning in the, in like, we're so bad in the bottom of a squat. It, it's like, oh my gosh, if anyone has, you know, played basketball growing up, we get so bad and most of us have these longer type of builds. So to go on something you said earlier, the most gains we have available is by fixing our weak points. It's a totally different concept. I wish I had more weak points. I've got over a 40 inch vertical. I wish I had, I, and I, and I do still have some, but the point is like, some. man, <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> that's the best, that's the best yeah. possible thing you could do. Yeah. And actually Mark Bell, the most pressing thing he said on me when I was with him, last month is he said that you instilled in him what we can't, we must. And he was paraphrasing you. So maybe you, oh, that's that, exactly it. 
that fucking quarry. Oh man. It's, it's, it's so good. So like, if you want to make a basketball player jump out of the gym, build them a, a good deep squat. It's un- like if a, <laughs> if basketball players wanted to no joke, transform their vertical jump, I would send them to your gym, <laughs> which, which in their minds, they would think they need to go to the place where they're going to be running with parachutes and doing plyometric. You're already doing all that on the court. Like you're yeah. already what you can't, you must, that's what you're already great at. You've already got that side of it. Bring think, up your weak point. I think there's value in that to a point, right? Like yep. getting there's a certain point where getting strong up to this point, like it's definitely going to improve. It's this general preparatory stuff, right? And beyond that, in pro athletics, there's probably no benefit for you to squat like over 315. Like there's probably no benefit, or maybe it's 275 or whatever number. Um, so there's definitely truth in that. And then beyond that, I think it becomes so specific. So I think every athlete in the world needs to understand whether you're, you're an armchair athlete, a you know, weekend athlete or whatever, there's definitely a certain amount of uh, range of motion. So which is mobility and stability and then strength you want to express up to yep. a point. And then beyond that, it actually, as you know, will slow you down. Right. Um, so then it becomes like how uh, explosive can you become, which is, as you yep. say, what most people train now, they just often do miss that general yep. preparatory stuff. Exactly. Something like something like a Nordic is something that usually is thought of as a as you know a party trick that the freak speedsters can do. Fast guys, I've tested hundreds of them. Like they can all do this shit naturally. And I was dropping like a sack of potatoes. So if, if you imagine someone driving up a squat but not driving up their knee flexion, that's gonna be a huge problem. Yep. So it it really wherever you can find that weak link for yourself, that's where you have the most to gain. So, and, and like you said, it's it. So then it's going to limit at a certain point because now you have this other, you know, any one of these qualities can only take you so far. The Nordic to be really clear, doesn't make you run fast. It just allows you to keep using your hip maximally. So yeah. if you have the hip pout, you can only run as fast as your hips can, can go. Yeah. But now can you actually, can you handle that force? Can you, can your stride frequency keep up with that power? So What's really funny is kids can usually do Nordics much better than adults mm. because they're just not out of balance yet. They right. don't, they can handle their own power. And then as we get older and we increase our power, but we're not increasing our ability to handle that power. Now our, our joints become points of, of trauma because we're actually weaker right there. So my, yeah. my experience with studying you and Mark Bell is, has been really cool for me because like, if you look at the muscle mass on and the strength, but even what I do, I'm just trying to be strong in these bulletproofing areas. And so you can, you can look at some of the quote unquote strongest people in the world and they might wonder why they have knee pain. It's because they're weak, but you find in these areas. And so between your quote and, and Mark Bell's of what you can't, you must. And Mark Bell likes to say that strength is never a weakness and weakness is never a strength. Like there's no advantage to having a weak foot. There's no advantage to having a weak tibia. There's no there's no advantage to being weak somewhere in your body. So your joint doesn't mean that it's not your fault. It doesn't mean that you weren't trying and training hard. It means that something was missing there, you know? Yeah. So a simple thing that you mentioned in there is uh, you like to balance out joint forces, right? So front and back, or maybe it's, I usually say 360 degrees. I want to be able to do all things in all planes. And so with, cool. res- with respect to the Nordic curl, 
So if you think about squatting, what I'm doing is I'm extending my knee, I'm shortening that quad. That's going to pull down on the front of the pelvis, right? So now the pelvis is starting to pull down the front, therefore the back goes up. So that's what most people express is what's called an anterior pelvic tilt. So the front comes down, the back goes up, your butt starts to stick out a bit, you got a hyperarchy lower back. But what a Nordic curl or a leg curl does is it pulls it back the other direction, right? So the hamstring starts pulling down on the pelvis. So to the amount that you express knee extension or quad shortening, you also want to balance it out, as you say, and balance out those joint forces at the pelvis so your pelvis can sit even on both ends. And most people simply don't. 95% of people you meet have extremely weak hamstrings, and they just simply don't know. They don't understand that the hamstrings pull down on the pelvis, pulling you back into a neutral pelvis. And that's one of the first things I go after with every single person is like, hey, we're going to put you in a position of posterior pelvic tilt. And we're going to have, or at least neutral pelvis, and we're going to have you use the hamstrings from that position. And I usually do that before I squat, because it's just going to balance out. It's going to loosen up the hip flexor. It's going to allow the, the pelvis to kind of go back in neutral position, give you more range at the hip and knee. This is so good. And now, now you'll appreciate, because now anyone listening this far, we can get even a little more detailed. The Nordic does not relate as much to the squat. The leg curl relates more to the squat. In my system, we do leg curls before squats. And what we do is Wednesdays, we do split squats and Fridays we do squats mm -hmm. before both of those sessions. We do leg curls on Mondays is when we do these like reverse step-ups and stuff. And after the reverse step-ups, we do Nordic. So here, let me break it down. So if you think about a Nordic, think you're, you're resting there, you're standing up tall. You're about to start the Nordic. There's no tension yet, right? but that's the exact position that a leg curl is toughest. So with a Nordic, it gets tougher as your leg goes to more of a straight position. Yep. The Nordic doesn't actually relate as much to squat or to bodybuilding. To the squat and to bodybuilding, the leg curl relates more because, okay, you're sitting there in the leg curl machine. You haven't started the rep yet. Your leg is straight. That's the easiest part, but on a Nordic, that's the toughest part. Then as you pull, like, Take someone who can rep out leg curls, then ask them to curl it and hold it in the contracted position. That would be the toughest part of it if you had to just hold it right there, right? So, so in a squat, on the quad side, that's the toughest position. So maybe this, will, maybe this sounds too crazy, but we do short-range knee flexion, so short-range hamstring before long-range quad. So we pump yeah. up. Yeah, of course. That makes sense. So lying leg curl before you do squat. a squat. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. And, and what we do is we use, um, we use these monkey feet. So it allows you to, to put a dumbbell on your foot yep. and we do the leg curls that way because, and someone could totally use a leg curl because it allows you to train one side at a time. And for, you know, for athletes or people traveling or this or that, it's just wonderful to be able to just go into the hotel grab a dumbbell and, and it's shocking how hard even 10% of your weight is. Whereas leg curl machines, you know, maybe someone works out from home. Like if you work out from home, you probably have a 20 pound dumbbell, but fuck, you probably don't have a lying in a seated ham, you know? So there's, sure. there's different levels, but the concept is the same is that we want to train that hamstring here before we train the squat there. Yep. And then on Mondays, which really doesn't relate to you're not going to see much like muscle growth out of it, but these, you probably saw in Poliquin's gym a lot, these like reverse step-ups, right? So um, like imagine standing on a slant board and then stepping down, you know, like a reverse step down off a slant board. It's a killer quad exercise, not as much for, for growing the muscle, 
it's really stabilizing. And so after that, we then do the Nordic. So that would relate more to the athletic performance. You know, if you look at when you're running and stuff, you're where that force is coming in, uh, you know, relates a little more to those step ups and Nordic. So you can, you can increase someone's top end speed with, with these reverse step ups and Nordics, but it's not going to, I don't know if it would be worth someone's time if their goal was just, you know, hypertrophy, maybe they could do it in a, in a preparation phase, but the, I just wanted to be clear on that point is that even the Nordic and the leg curl are actually, are actually a little bit opposite. Sure. Yeah, for sure. And I I view that as, so I love Nordics for hypertrophy and uh, I view it just like the simplest breaking it down to its kind of first principles, right? It's like joint positions and resistance profile. So like, what are the relative joint positions? Is it flex? Is it extended? Is it somewhere in the middle? And then what's the resistance profile? Where's it easy? Where's it hard? And so that's the way I view it. And with, with, you know, with the Nordic relative to the lying leg curl, one of them, your, uh, your thigh is pinned and your knee is moving, your lower leg is moving. The other one, your lower leg is pinned and your upper, le- your upper leg is moving. So that's kind of an opposite. Uh, it's kind of reverse action thought process, right? Uh, but yeah, I, I love all of them, right? And I just realized it's just a different type of stimulus. And if you're weak at one, you, if you can't, you must, right? Perhaps yeah. the Nordic, perhaps for the bodybuilder, even opposite of what I was just thinking, perhaps for the bodybuilder where he's weakest, then the leg curl and the RDL weights all of a sudden feel lighter because he fixed that weak link. So I, I think that's, I think that's, that's pretty brilliant there. And again, awesome. there's no advantage to having one of them weak. You know what I mean? Right. And, it can and go so, the other way around. Man, the final thing yeah. that I want to throw out to the listener is like, and I say this to every one of my clients and every one of my coaches enter the gym with a mindset of curiosity, right? So rather than mindlessly going into an exercise and saying, I'm going to do this because this is what's in my program, it's almost like an exploration. So explore the ends of the range, explore what it feels like to spend a little more time there, explore where you're strong, explore where you're weak, explore new exercises and see what it feels like. And where you feel it's weak or where you feel it's shaky, that's an indication you need to spend more time, right? And if you take that, that um, kind of mindset of curiosity and wonderment if you, with you into the workout, workouts become so much more compelling and so much more exciting because you're like, oh, I felt this today and I discovered this. Rather than just becoming this kind of mundane, monotonous, repetitive stuff, which everybody does, uh, yeah. if you take that curiosity, that's really what changed exercise for me, right? Is like, I realized that I knew nothing and I was like, oh my goodness, there's people out there who know so much more than me. I know nothing. I'm just going to start thinking and being curious. So now I start looking at exercises with this air of, you know, this body that's standing in space, having these forces being applied against it in different ways that ultimately apply resistance to, to challenge a muscle in some unique way. I'm like, oh, well, this is a new paradigm. Like, let's, let's see how I can challenge this muscle in this position or that muscle in that position. And then it becomes literally like art or like a game where you're like, oh, I can build that. Just like you say, you really enjoy squats now. It's like, yeah, you can build anything. As long as you can get into the range, you can stabilize it and you can contract, you can build any amount of muscle, right? Which is such a fun way to enter the gym. That your viewpoint on that can actually make or break someone's progress. 100%. Because you don't add 10 pounds a day to your bench. It's not right. how it works. So the mental side affects this. Um, I still haven't been able to find this study and I'm pretty sure, you know, I, I don't know where this came from, but it was, it was my favorite study that, that Charles Pollock whenever told me about. And he said they had these groups of sprinters and 
they lied to the 100 meter sprinters each week. So one group thought they were getting slower because really they just made the, the line a little, they were just lying to them. So they thought they were getting slower. The other group thought they were getting faster. At the end of the study, the group that thought they were getting faster, they all got faster. And the group that thought they were getting slower got slower. And they looked at the, they did the, the body analysis and the group that thought they were getting faster had all gained lean muscle tissue and lost body fat. Now, if you're sprinting and gaining muscle tissue and losing body fat, you're going to run faster. And their testosterone levels were up at like the top of the country's athletes. Like their mm-hmm. testosterone was through the roof. They thought they were getting faster and they actually wow. did. The other group, their testosterone was sunk. Very hard to make gains. They lost lean muscle tissue and gained body fat. How the oh. hell are you supposed to run faster doing that? Now, it was a short-term study. This will, That only would last so long because eventually you'd be like, wait a second, is that line shorter? You know what I mean? Or like eventually it would, it would run out because you wouldn't be running a nine-second hundred meter or breaking. You know, if your whole group was breaking world records, you'd be like, oh, shit, our timing system. <laughs> and then your right. testosterone would probably sink. And then, But you get the point is that so many of us, I've been there where training turns into this monotonous thing where we're not having those daily wins. I mean, when you're having the daily wins and just by understanding that process, you're changing your hormones, you're changing the effect of the training. Um, so like, I, I think that mindset is actually absolutely a huge part of the process versus, yeah. versus shutting down because you, you couldn't do, you know, f- you were trying to hit four reps at four or five and only got three, like w- that session is not what's going to make your long-term pro you know, like, like what happens there is, is a product of what you did the session before and the session before and the session. Yep. Yeah. So that's, that's great. And I think it's, you know, if you tell somebody they're doing poorly, they're probably going to tighten up a little bit. They're probably going to become a little more tense. Cortisol goes up a little bit. I, would, yep. I think definitively slow them down. I'll tell you an interesting story about me, man. When I was competing, when I would train legs, I had this um, palpable visual confidence, right? Like you could see me, in, in joy and almost bliss. Like no matter how hard I went, I had a smile on my face. It was like bordering arrogance because I just knew there was no one in the world that could touch me. And then you go to back and I, and I, I was always, I always struggled with my back. And I, every, every set I did with back, I would curse. I'd be like, fuck. And I just was like never happy. So squatting and, and training legs, I got this big smile on my face. No matter how much it hurt, I was like, hell yeah, smile. I'm crushing it. So I, my I brain goes. Everyone's testosterone went up on your leg day at that powerhouse gym. <laughs> Thanks, because man. when you were doing legs, it was like being in an arena. Like it was nuts on your leg days, and everyone felt like we can do more. You know, what I mean? and maybe, maybe, maybe I could only go down with a certain amount. But like, like watching you train legs, just to comment on that, yeah, it was very real. Like to be quite honest, I don't quite remember your back days as much, but I remember totally. your leg days. Totally, yeah, and 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 same thing. So I realized this early on is like I had this this like negative. Um, mind frame when I went into back training and I was like cussing and I was like, didn't feel it really well. And I was always almost disappointed. And that I think inhibited a lot of my progress, right? If, if you can't um, think it's being rewarded. So every time I smile at the end of a leg workout, I'm getting this hit of dopamine being like, heck yeah. Whereas when I don't, I'm probably getting a hit of cortisol or maybe it's norepinephrine and it's you know causing a stress response rather than a reward response. And for anyone listening out there, you have to train yourself no matter where you are in your process to acknowledge progress. It doesn't have to be perfect. It has to be progress, right? And I think if I had acknowledged that earlier in my career, I probably would have had a very different end result. And toward the end of my career, I got it. And my back just started to change. 
to include when I retired. My back continued to grow after I retired for a long time. Uh, obviously, now it's not the same uh, level of, of intensity, but for a long time it did. And I think that's an important lesson for people to take away is like, man, yep. I, and one of, my, one of my quotes is like, at the deepest depths of your heart is set, smile, knowing you're becoming a better version of yourself, right? Yep. Yeah, the more it sucks, the more you smile. And, and that's, uh, I think, in life, it's like every, every obstacle comes with it an equal and opposite opportunity. So if you're running into the, this brick wall face first, no matter what it is in life, smile and go, I have an opportunity in front of me to learn, to become better. I'm becoming better simply by being here and take action toward you know, stepping through it. It's, it's so friggin' true. And, and every now and then something like this will remind me, like I was the guy out of all my friends who didn't know why my knees hurt at such a young age. And I was the guy depressed by the time I was 18, I quite literally did not have a friend because when I went to then have knee surgeries and now I, I missed my senior year of basketball, that was so depressing for me. Like I couldn't bear to go to the games. You know what I mean? I couldn't bear to like be connected with those people. So if anyone at the time would have gone, Ben was a, you know, he was a nice guy, but knees really fucked up his life. Now knees have made me a, a massive business. Yeah. And I have, you know, like, like I never even thought I'd be on social media, let alone have, you know, 400,000 on Instagram. I started doing YouTube videos a day in December. I only had a private YouTube. It's over 200,000 followers that so like, I took the worst thing that ever happened to me. You know what I mean? And so it's a yeah. totally different way of looking at it. And that applies in my own training. I have so much fun doing my dumbbell squats. But back when I was depressed and had knee problems, I never would have even had the guts or the self-love to do a dumbbell squat. You know what I mean? Because right. I would have cared too much about the weight on the bar. Right. And therefore, well, never. it's just, it's very interesting because what you're saying when we hear it, it makes sense, but it's opposite of kind of the way that we're, the way that we're right. raised and trained. I think in this world where, you know, we think that someone's worth is like, if a guy has six cars, he's worth more than someone with five cars. There's, it, it becomes very materialistic, you know? So the weight on the bar becomes more important than what it feels like when you're doing it, yeah. you know? Yep. And that's where, that's where like your experience with bodybuilding, you can't cheat it because you have to get on that stage. Whereas for a guy like me, I could cheat it and be going, well, I can do this much on the bar. I don't know why my knees still hurt and I can't jump high. You know what I mean? Whereas yeah. you have to go on that stage. So it, it, it shapes those viewpoints. It's very, it's very interesting. Um, and, and to hear you talk about the back day and, and now it's the same thing for me that I get the joy out of the thing that, that is, is a weak point. You know what I mean? When I make that little progress on it yeah. and now it's, not becoming a weak point. I think if, if anyone took away anything from this podcast, it's, it's gotta be actually the, the mental approach because that's going to apply. Like, I don't know about for you, but for me, like what I'm doing in fitness, anything I'm doing, I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to do my job really well. And hopefully that has an effect and, and I can pay my staff better, or I, maybe I uplift somebody, or maybe I, maybe I, you know, set an example that they then, you know, get better at what they're trying to do. You know what I mean? It's not. Yeah. One of the things that I often say to, to people who are new to my world is, you know, a lot of people go, I don't like exercise. And I say, well, what if I can make exercise really enjoyable for you? What if I can make that experience great? Like, oh, it's, you know, it's not possible. I'm like, well, at some point in your life, you've, you've tainted your belief that uh, you know, I don't enjoy exercise or it's painful. It doesn't feel good. And you can completely flip that on in in a really short amount of time. If you yep. learn how to curate 
someone's objective and subjective experience, right? So objectively, like, what are you actually doing? Subjectively, what are you actually thinking and feeling? And you can curate that. So this is part of the, the lessons that I teach my coaches and my mentorship is like, and I could take anyone, no matter how much they hate exercise, I believe, and turn it into an experience where they love it because it's almost impossible, impossible for them to not love it just due to all the positive chemicals and endorphins that are being released when you're training. And if we can learn how to just walk them down a path that's actually feels good and is rewarding and is positive, they're going to want to come back. They're never going to want to leave you as a coach and, and you're, you're with them for life. And you're doing that, man. Like by giving people back their confidence and their ability to move their knees, their ankles, their hips, and their back, you're giving people a sense of joy and a sense of a, a belief that they can. That's why your business is succeeding, right? The, the mechanism is like, hey, I'm going to teach you how to move your joints. But the real gift that you're giving people is a belief in themselves and a confidence to actually enjoy the process. Whereas millions of people think they hate it or they've hated it historically because of pain or discomfort or some belief that they've created, right? So, man, yeah. thank you. Like, you're, I love what you're doing, buddy. Like, I'm a massive fan. And it's so awesome that we, we've connected in the past and uh, hopefully we can continue to do stuff together in the future. Let's, let's plan that out. Oh, one, 100%. You know, I've been, a, I've been a fan for like 10 years. And, and it's funny hearing you say that because I, I never really thought about that quite like this till now, but it's, it's true. Ultimately, my job is just to make exercising fun for people again. It is a nat it's a natural human thing. Like we need and crave exerting our bodies. And, yeah. and, and when we do so, like you said, even on a, even on like a scientific level, like it does make us happier. It does make yeah. us more productive in the rest of our lives. Like it does improve so much of our health. So you're right. If that's, it's that, if that's something that's not fun, then we, we have to correct that. Sure. Because and you not, become depressed. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I think the harder you can push, the more, the better you feel, the less you can push, the worse you'll feel. Yep. Therefore, use fitness and mobility and taking your knees over your toes as an access point to ultimately just improving your body and your mind, and therefore your entire life. Yeah. And, and start that by dragging a sled backwards for backwards. five minutes. Start slowly. By the end of the five minutes, you're exerting hard. And maybe you haven't truly exerted your quads in 10 years because of knee pain. You know what I mean? And now by actually lowering it down to a weight that you can drag for five minutes straight backwards. And now by the end, what are you doing? You're freaking exerting. And now you go to do your tibialis raise. And by the 25th rep, they're screaming at you, but you haven't had any blood flow or stimulus or pushed that area in forever. And now, like you were saying, now you just exert the harder you can exert without it being painful. Boom. Now you're getting a flood of these hormones. Your body's healing itself. Your growth hormones going to all, all the scientific shit then yeah. goes to work. So those man, are, man, I love that. And that's, that's three times a week to start, Ben. Is that, is that where people should start? three times a week. And if you just want to walk it out without anything, a 10 minute backward walk, you'd want to get somewhere safe. Uh, if you wanted to do it more toward exertion, then you would, you would try to drag a sled or use a treadmill turned off. Or like you said, go up a hill though for fragile knee people, after you go up the hill, go down slowly, small step, like don't, you don't want to overdo it on the way down. Cause now that's going to be more to recover from. And then we pump up sets of 25, which I, I have so many public videos on the tibialis. So anyone can look at how to do it with machinery or just with their body weight. And if you, yeah. if you try that set with your body weight for 25 reps, it's pretty shocking. And for someone like me who just quote unquote, couldn't, you know, couldn't train my legs, you get that, that flood of hormones because now you're actually getting like a pump for the first time. So it's. Yeah. That, those are the first two steps that we do three days a week. And, and we only, 
day, three days a week. And just, we gradually just flow into those expressions with more exercises. Nothing, nothing wildly changes. Yeah. And I'll just, you know, kind of asterisk that with my BPACism is like explore the ends of the range. So most people just, I find they mindlessly do it, especially when you give them a number like 25 or five minutes or whatever, they just mindlessly do it. Whereas if they take that, that era of curiosity and go, what if happens if I stretch a little bit more? What happens if I shorten a little bit more and just try to increase that range by, you know, a millimeter or a centimeter or half an inch or whatever on both ends, every single rep, it becomes a mindfulness experience, right? So I become mindful in what I do. So I'm taking my focus from outside to inside my body. And now it's becoming a meditative experience, which then adds a whole different dimension of benefit to that exercise. So again, that's, a, that's kind of a pro tip. Most people would like just do it. But if you start wanting to become a little bit more mindful in your life, becoming mindful in your workout is a beautiful place to start. And then that's going to transfer into everything else you do. 100%. And my, right. my, last, my last sentence would be as severe as this sounds, like honestly on leg day, like be fucking grateful that you have legs. That's how I got out. That's how I got out of 10 years of chronic knee pain is I, at one point I just had to go, man, here I am depressed every day and I have fucking legs to train. Honestly, as yeah. crazy as that sounds, I put it as my motto, be grateful you have legs. And, and now all of a sudden my three leg days, I can't wait for them. So that's awesome. Ben, where can everybody find your stuff and sign up for your program? Well, YouTube is a good place because my concept is that education is free. So no matter what program or what system you're doing, you can, you can get, you know, educated for free. You should be learning from other people. You should have, I got to where I am from having many mentors, finding the mentors that I resonated with and they've each affected me in different ways. Just like, just like such a huge part of my system is the concept of using these, these slants, which you were the first person I ever saw doing that. And so you you get the concept. I, I would be a hypocrite to just say, sign up for my program right now, get a feel for it. See if you want to do it. When you do it, apply what, what Ben is saying, you know, take each movement and enjoy the process. Um, but you can start right there on YouTube, knees over toes guy and, and start studying, see what you think of it. Awesome, buddy. Thanks so much for joining us, man. I love what you're doing. You got a fan in me, so keep it up. And we didn't talk about parenting, but man, it's, it's awesome to see you <laughs> stepping into that role as well. As you know, that's one of probably my greatest value, my greatest joy in life is being able to spend time with my angels. It, that's number one. I follow all your posts. There's, there's not enough good role models on that. So thanks for being a great role model on that. And if I wasn't, uh, well, again, I, I, I often get proposition to create like a father community, right? A parenting community. Oh, wow. uh, just because, man, I love it. And I, I study it. I read books on it. And like, if I find a parent out there who's doing a great job, it's the first thing I'm asking is like, hey, you know, what do you do with this? And, you know, I, I love it. And uh, I, mean, I, I, I admire anyone who invests time and uh, effort into improving it. Because as we spoke about before we got on, it, it's a definitely a, a challenge, man. There's a lot of time. It's a lot of mindfulness. And uh, yeah, man, I'm grateful for those little humans every day for teaching me more than anyone ever else ever has. That, no, that, that's it right there. We, we look at any problems in the world and we're looking at secondary effects. The primary effect is how we raise our kids. I take that yeah. so seriously. So I think a lot of us out there, if you made some kind of a, of a monthly membership where we can stay up to date on stuff like that, I mean, look at the effects that would have. I was just talking about this. All right, you want to learn knees. Cool. You want to learn about your muscles. Awesome. You want to learn about being a dad. Oh, shit. All of a sudden, we have no idea where to, you know what I mean? It's, I'm not saying there's not stuff out there, but it's a subject that you would think 
that we would have more energy on. So anyways, yeah. uh, well, I, th- I think I the challenge it, is it, it's a full-time job. Yeah. yeah. I think the challenge is a full-time job and there's levels, right? So, you know, when a child is zero to three years old, there's certain things that they need. And then you go three to six and there's certain things they need. And then seven to nine, there's certain things they need. And I think it would require somebody just like full-timing it, just like investing deeply and in creating systems and processes and, and, uh, and mindset paradigms like, hey, this is what your child likely needs from you right now, right? And, and again, if you boil it down to first principles, it's like, well, they need time and they need, they need attention and they need unconditional love. And the greatest parenting book that I've ever read that you should read is not even a parenting right. book. It's, called, it's the book called Real Love. And the author, okay. is, the author is Greg Bayer, B-A-E-R. And I'll tell you, it's the best relationship book, the best parenting book I've ever come across. I suggest it to everybody. And uh, I love it, man. I love, and, and it's taught me uh, just to be unconditional. And, uh, you know, love shouldn't be, if you do this for me, then I'll give you that in return. It's like, no matter who you, no matter who you are, no matter what you do, I'm always here for you. I may not agree with all the things you do, but that doesn't mean I, I withhold my love and affection for you because that you yep. did something I don't agree with. And like yep. that in and of itself has changed who I am as a parent. So it takes me out in the moment when you're pissed off at them, I do something wrong. You're like, it takes me out of anger and it puts me into like, okay, I'll, the only thing I want them to know on this whole thing is that I love them. And then I want them to learn this lesson. So as long as I can kind of couple those things, it takes me out of the responsiveness in the moment or the reactiveness maybe, and puts me back into like, okay, first they need to know I love them. They need to know this is coming from a place of love. And then I can attach the lesson onto it, or I can wait and detach the lesson later. But uh, that's, that's been a huge paradigm shift for me, man. And I, I never had that growing up for sure. But that book was, uh, it was definitely an eye opener for me. That, that's beautiful, man. I'm going to be all, I'm going to be all over it. Cool, Good brother. Man. Dude, thank you so keep much for your time. Keep leading the way for the rest of us. Thanks, man. I hope to connect soon and let's do something awesome so these, this audience can continue to learn from, from you and from me. Cheers, Definitely. And that's a wrap, ladies and gents, boys and girls. Thank you so much for joining me here today on the Muscle Intelligence Podcast. As you know, we are literally searching the world to bring you the most valuable information to help you live your greatest life in a lean, healthy, and muscular body that you absolutely love because we believe that being lean, healthy, and muscular shouldn't be confusing. And when you get to the top, you ultimately realize that everybody is saying the same things about how to optimize body, mind, and life. Today's podcast is brought to you by Belcampo. Head over to belcampo.com slash muscle and use the code muscle for 20% off. My favorite things for Belcampo that I make literally every morning is the beef tenderloin steak for my daughter. She's spoiled, yes. My son likes the sausages and oftentimes I'm the one eating their incredible chicken. Literally, you've never tried chicken like this before in your life. The chicken breast is so good. It's so dense. It's like nothing I've ever tried before. It was an absolute blessing. Drizzling my fresh pressed olive oil over the top a little bit of sea salt, and I am happy. Guys, thank you very much for being here. I don't take your time lightly, and don't forget to support our sponsors, Belkempo. Head over there and get hooked up with 20% off using the code MUSCLE. Enjoy your day, and don't forget to subscribe to the podcast for more amazing content and amazing guests coming up soon. Thank you so much for tuning in to Muscle Intelligence. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to share it with at least one person you know. Make sure you're subscribed so you never miss an episode. 
This podcast is for information purposes only. The statements and views on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Ben Pikulski and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements or advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.